trust people. Yeah. Because they're professionals like everybody else. They want to do a great job. Sure, there's going to be a dog barking every once in a while and a kid. And we tell people, you know what? Let it rip. Hello, and welcome to this episode of People at Work. I'm Dustin, and I'll be your host today. So as always, People at Work is brought to you by Jostle. What Jostle does is we help connect your employees no matter where they are. So today I'm super excited to be speaking with Ryan Malone, who is the founder and CEO of SmartBug Media. Uh, SmartBug has been fully remote for 10 years. I've been fully remote for three weeks. So I'm excited to learn from Ryan. Apologies in advance if you hear footsteps and things running around. My kids are running around upstairs, but that's the world we live in nowadays. So Ryan, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's funny. We booked this one months and months ago and then scheduled it for this time on remote work. So it's, it's great timing for this. I'd love to get started with kind of your background and how and why you decided to start SmartBug Media. Yeah, sure. So I came up through um, technology marketing. I worked at, uh, I did product marketing at a company named Seagate, which is a data storage company. And then mm -hmm. did a couple early stage uh, technology companies and network security and network storage. Um, and what I realized was that as we hired agencies, um, if the agency did a great job, it was a whiz-bang process. If the agency did a poor job, it was somehow our fault for not giving them the data that they needed. And when you peeled the onion, what you found is that, um, you know, typically uh, partners would come in and sell it and then, you know, fresh outs and interns and people that weren't trained in strategy were the ones that were doing the work. And so, you know, I think all marketers, you know, have a tiny bit of an ego and I felt like we could do a better job. And I asked some friends that were also in the technology marketing space if they had the same problem and they did. And so we decided to start an agency that was kind of by marketing for marketing with the idea that the people that you worked with were um, people that had similar scars on their back and had launched products and managed P&Ls and understood most importantly, the implications of being wrong. Because I think sometimes if you, I've been in an agency your whole life. The creative is the success. But if you've been in marketing the whole life, your whole life, then you realize that the agency, uh, the creative is really a vehicle to your success. And it's what it does that, that really matters. And so when we were starting, when I was 17, my, um, my dad passed away. And I knew that when I was starting this company, I wanted to be there for my kids. And I didn't want to be the dad that was absent. And I wanted to be there for my company because nobody really wants to work for the CEO who parachutes in once a month and makes decisions about which he or she has no knowledge. So at the time, 10 years ago, the only option to solve for that equation was remote. And along the way, everybody told us it was pretty silly, but we stuck with our guns and now we've got about 85 people. Um, we've never had office space. Um, we've been completely remote the whole time. And, um, and it's a pretty crazy thing that's happening in the world right now, but I think it, it also shows that remote's a very powerful tool. Yeah, definitely. I love that the whole impetus for starting it was that, that pain that marketers have experienced with agencies. Like when you bring up agencies, you're going to get one or two responses from a marketer depending on how their last experience went. So it's awesome to see that you're solving that need. And yeah, remote work, it's really interesting that 10 years ago you were doing that because back then it was not unheard of, but incredibly uncommon. Did you find any struggles doing that kind of right off the jump until you adjusted to it? Um, a little bit. So um, for, you know, for me, it was, it was like a lifestyle decision, not like in a, I want to just relax in my gym shorts all day long type lifestyle. Although that's, you know, kind of our work outfit now, but, um, and if I, I wear Maryland basketball shorts, cause that's where I went to college, but, <laughs> um, but at any rate, um, 
You know, I think the biggest thing is that the world, you know, was, and I think in some ways is still very accustomed to, um, to going to work. So when you are looking for your initial employees, it's a really big leap of faith, you know, to take somebody who is, you know, two or 3000 miles away to leave a job that they can feel and touch, um, and basically sign up for a picture on the other side of a screen and a vision of what you're trying to build. And, you know, we knew in the beginning that, you know, our, our, our kind of work ethos is that you should come to work and be able to work with people that you have this deep intellectual respect for. It doesn't mean that you're going to be best friends with them, but you should know that when you come to work, you, you work with smart people that have your back. But at the same time, and I say this to everybody that I meet, you and I both are not going to remember this phone call. Like when we're older, you're going to remember what you did with somebody you cared about this weekend. So to the extent that we can create this challenging work environment for people, um, but at the same time, give them space to create memories in their life um, is uh, kind of the place that we felt like we were the most comfortable in, in finding people that have those same value systems has been, I think, much easier as we've gotten bigger because it's kind of like a snowball, right? The first piece of the snowball is hard, but once it starts rolling, it gains a lot of momentum. Yeah, and I think it's a it, probably at the start at least it was a leap of faith both ways as well, right? You're hiring someone who, yeah, you've spoken to and video chatted with and got to know that way, but that's a lot different than like actually having someone come in sometimes. So, was was that a little bit different as well? Finding the right people towards the beginning. Yeah, um, you know, I've always been a person that um, I, I trust by default, and mm -hmm. until there's some reason not to, and so the interview process. Um, is really no different. It's just a, a camera based thing. And I think what you find though is, you know, we've, we've never had an issue with people not doing work. And I think a lot of people that aren't remote are so afraid that everybody's going to play hooky. And it's just not really, you know, in our model anyway, it's not really possible because either the rest your team's going to know if you miss something or your customers are going to know if you miss something. We've just never really had that issue. I think the bigger issues that companies that are remote face is um, there's certain people that are just like wired to work remotely uh, very well. And there's some people that aren't. And, and what we found is that um, resiliency is a really key uh, value because especially in a, in an, in a client agency environment, and this could apply to any professional services type organization is no matter how much you plan your day, um, you don't entirely own your schedule. And so um, when you're remote, you need to be resilient in a couple of ways. You need to be resilient in the sense that um, schedules change, but you also need to be resilient in the fact that um, that crutch that we have of being able to walk down the hallway and ask somebody a quick question or um, you know, just walk into the coffee room to blow off some steam or stuff like that you don't necessarily have. And so you find other vehicles to do that. And I think the second value that matters quite a bit is really kind of the source of where you get your energy. So mm -hmm. I always tell people when we interview them, if, um, and it's sort of this really awkward exchange, right? Cause you're like, all right, well, I'm going to ask you about your friends now. And so, um, but what we are trying to figure out really is if you're coming from an in-office space and you have your crew and you go to lunch every day with your crew and then you go to happy hour because, you know, that you just have that group of folks that you're super, super tight with and you decide to go remote, you're losing something. If you're somebody and you hear during an interview process, they're like, you know, I love getting there early because nobody's there yet and I can get so much stuff done or 
or I stay late or, you know, it's, it's, you know, however they, you know, when I close my door, it's like the best feeling because I can focus. Those are the types of people that in a remote environment, they see this like giant piece of freedom. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the biggest challenge is, you know, over the 10 years is you start not knowing anything about who's the best fit. And every hire you learn something more and more about who's the best fit. And that we found is like almost impossible to coach. Like you just, you have scars on your back from, from um, asking questions that didn't quite get what you needed to get out of them. And then you learn and you learn over time. And um, so that's probably the biggest challenge more so than how to interview them. I I think that's going to become kind of increasingly important for our listeners to pay attention to because yeah, most of them are remote temporarily. My guess is when this is all over and we're back to normal, a lot of them are going to stay remote, at least to a certain extent, right? Most definitely. There's going to be a huge step function because all the people I think that were afraid are going to be like, you know what? It wasn't that bad. Maybe yeah. I really don't need an office anymore. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've, so we were probably in a better position than most to work remote. So we made the full-time switch three weeks ago, but all of us pretty much did maybe a day at home a week, or if we had right. something important, we do a couple days at home. So we were set up for it, but even us there, there was that adjustment period, but now three weeks in, I'm starting to think like, this is actually working pretty well. Uh, so do we need the office all the time? Um, mm-hmm. I think it's different for everyone. Like my ideal world, I'd work remote a lot of the time, but I would like to go into the office occasionally. But again, that's going to vary for each person, I think. Yeah, there is some, you know, I think, um, you know, you can't replace human connection, right? So um, when we, when we talk to people that are new, it's weird, like uh, on one side, you hear from people that they've had, they have a better relationship with people here than they had with their in office because they have more cross departmental relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, um, there are some things that you just can't cover for. Like, for example, you could be having a really bad day and but you have your game face on during a meeting when you're on camera yeah. and you'll, nobody will ever know. Whereas if I'm in the office, you just tell, you're like, man, he's just not, he's just off today. So let's go to lunch and talk to him about it because I want to make sure that he's doing okay. And so that, that you can't really replace. And, um, but you can replace a lot of the other stuff. You have to force it sometime, but, um, mm-hmm. but I think in, there's a couple things that you just simply can't replace. Yeah, I think the point you made about when you're in person, you can tell something's wrong. That is kind of compounded right now. It's it's a stressful time for people. It's a weird time for people. Mm-hmm. So even now, we found we have to like triple down on communication and over communicate and make sure all the team leads are checking and making sure everyone's okay. So yeah, you definitely have to make up for that. I'm curious what other things you you do as a company and focus on to get that connection and make people feel personally connected and build your culture. Sure. Um, well, the first thing that we do when people come on board is we have people do get to know you calls and it was a lot easier when we were 20 people now we're larger. So it takes a while, but the concept is effectively that the first thing you do when you get here is you schedule a 20 minute phone call with everybody at the company. The only rule is you can't talk about work. And the, the reason for that is because we believe that tribes are really important. And there's a bunch of different tribes at our company. There's, you know, coffee aficionados, there's sports people, there's, you know, reality TV junkies, there's all kinds of different, you know, affinities that people have. And so enabling people to find their kind and their, their group um, 
is I think a good thing that we do in the beginning because it tells people that there's lots of people like them there, even though they're remote and it gives them a bit of a support system once they're growing. It also creates these personal relationships such that when they run into each other on a project later, they already, um, they already sort of uh, know each other. Um, the other thing that we do is, and this is probably from like a, a culture perspective is that, um, so do you have kids? I do. Yeah. I have two, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Okay. So I have a 11 year old and I have a five year old, 11, almost 12. Um, and I was always taught that your job as a parent is to make sure that your kids are happy, healthy, safe, and resilient until they can do it for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so, um, we kind of apply the same thing here at SmartBug with this idea called healthy SmartBug. And the idea is that, um, you know, if you take that same analogy, healthy meaning or happy meaning happy customers, engaged team, it doesn't mean that every day is a summer camp, but it means you should enjoy what you do and have pride in your work and feel engaged and your customers should feel value from the work that you do for them. Um, healthy um, in the sense that you have a healthy business that's profitable, that has sound processes that are um, malleable and kind of open to change, safe, that you make safe decisions, that you are able to defend yourself in the market um, and that you do so uh, aggressively. And then uh, resilient is that life happens, right? And so um, you can't always plan for it. And oftentimes, and I think you see that a lot right now with all the COVID stuff is you, you see true people's true colors in a time of crisis. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so we look at that as, as being a healthy company. And uh, so for us, what we literally will do is I try to do a handful of people a week and I, our other senior managers do is we will call people at the company and just schedule a 20 minute call with them and just say, how can we be healthier? And that type of the asking is really a powerful cultural component. The why you feel that way is a powerful component and really kind of creates these communication channels that flattens out the org chart for us. And so that people feel comfortable raising their hand and saying, I have a good idea because I know that somebody's going to listen and that, you know, you're able to uh, kind of address like misconceptions and stuff before they, they go too far in a, in a remote company, right? A lot of people live, you know, in Slack or Zoom or whatever you have it. And so it's, it's easy sometimes for, for rumors to spread and kind of stuff like that. And these calls are great because they allow you to answer, you know, direct concerns and, and answer great ideas and everything in between in a really direct fashion. And I think um, then those messages get carried through the organization and it makes the company healthier. And so then when you go back and you tell the company, hey, this is kind of what we've heard this quarter and this is what we're addressing and this is what we're changing and this is what we've decided not to change, but we appreciate everybody's opinion. Um, then people know that, you know, regardless of what they say, that at least it's being um, like considered in a, mm -hmm. in a positive way. Yeah, and there's gotta be a ripple effect for that transparency and that sense of being heard where all the way down to the getting someone new comfortable expressing their ideas in a meeting like in a work setting there's got to be a positive benefit there just from you having those conversations and making people feel comfortable yeah definitely the transparency stuff is really important remote because you know people don't have as much access to information like if you can if you remember god it seems so long ago since i've even done this but if you're in an <laughs> office when you have everybody in a conference room and you've got a, a conference call going on and 
the poor person that calls into the conference line is sitting there and they listen to the 10 minutes of like basically the sound of the teacher from peanuts. It's just, like, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> um, that's the part of the meeting where friendships are made and relationships are made and they miss out on that. And so in a remote company, um, it is, there are like some real positives because if everybody's on the meeting at the same time, then you don't run into those, uh, disparity of information type things. And so I think um, being more transparent and remote is great because uh, you know people don't have another mechanism to gather some of those things. And if you can force yourself to, to be more open and transparent with people, it goes a long way. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, uh, so it's part of what you mentioned as well of having those, those conversations and building that camaraderie outside of work stuff that that takes the place of, from my experience, like the lunchtime conversations and the quick coffee breaks when you're just chatting with your team. And that's something we struggled with a little bit, honestly, making the switch to remote. So with my team in particular, I have a daily coffee check-in that's optional. We just hang out like we do in the office and get to know each other. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious, are there other things you do kind of on a, a weekly basis or anything your team leads do to help foster that, be it happy hours, coffee chats? Yeah. Well, so let's, let's assume that all this uh, virus stuff, you know, goes away. Cause I think, you know, everybody's kind of impacted by that, but let's assume yeah. once that's done kind of, so um, we've built our teams in, you know, these small intimate teams that roll up into bigger teams. So there's a little bit of team camaraderie um, in our consulting teams are grouped in teams of two. And then they roll up into teams of, you know, 10 to 12 and those teams have names and they roll up to our client services team. So there's a bit of like team pride um, and those teams have, you know, weekly uh, gatherings. So there's a chance for people to feel like they've got a partner, like they got a team um, at the same time. We do um, usually a monthly and a quarterly all hands, which is where uh, our team rolls out. Uh, our management team rolls out the plans for the quarter um, and updates people on a monthly basis about how the company's doing. Mm -hmm. um, we have um, all of these different kind of um, affinity groups that get together on their own schedule to talk about whatever it is that they want to talk about. We have like a huge crew of wines of uh, coffee snobs here <laughs> nice. that yeah. um, get together and, and they're like seriously militant about the right way to brew coffee. So I'm embarrassing <laughs> I don't even go to it because I shame myself. But um, so those groups kind of have perpetuated themselves. And then uh, we do have monthly happy hours by time zone. People can drop in wherever, but we found that the time zones tend to work pretty well because we're, you know, across uh, the U.S. And then once, um, if people want to, because we have these pockets of people that work in different areas like Denver and um, we have some people in Chicago and stuff like that. Whenever they want to get together to work, we pay for it and, you know, pay for them to go out and have a good dinner with each other because we want to make sure that they have a chance to spend uh, some time together. And then finally, um, once a year, we have an event called Smart Bugapalooza. It's a, a four-day um, experience. And we, um, we usually choose a five-star resort on the West Coast. And the idea is that we want to bring our team because, you know, they're, they're just so good at what they do and they care so much. We want to take them to a, um, a resort that they otherwise probably wouldn't go to um, and spend a day of work and another three days of just being able to spend time with people that they don't see that much. And that in of itself is this really powerful connection between the trust that you've built remotely uh, combined with the, um, the kind of, you know, 
connection that you create in person and it really kind of fires people up for the next year. Yeah, there, there must be some awesome interactions there where someone's been talking to, to a coworker, they get along with them great for eight months and then they finally get to meet them in person. Oh yeah. The best, the best honestly is sitting there. Um, uh, my wife and I do that. She's our attorney and, uh, and we'll just sit back and watch and you see these people who work together for six months and they don't know whether to shake their hand or high five each other, fist bump, or it's just so awkward. That's hilarious. And then, but then 10 minutes after that, it's like they've known each other for a year. So, but it's just the, the kind of, it's like blind date awkwardness. It's like you've seen somebody's picture and you don't really know what to do. And, um, but it's pretty cool. But after that, it's amazing though, because there's really no awkwardness at all. And, you know, you, you have this event and people are so close that when you ask people at the end of the event, like just stand up and say what you want to say, you're not going to see people for a while. You know, oftentimes people will cry and they will share things that, you know, you, you'd be shocked that you would hear in a, in a, um, you know, just a work environment that are really nice and, um, and personal and stuff like that, that really makes everything worth it. It's like the only time of the year that you wish that that Monday you would go back and work in an office. But, um, so that's, that's what we kind of try to do. And you have to, you know, as a leader in that environment, you have to force it. You have to call somebody that you haven't talked to in a while and say, you know what, I haven't talked to you in a while. I'm just calling to see how you're doing and how your family's doing and stuff like that. And it sounds really clunky. Um, and, you know, it is, but at the same time, you know, once the two minutes of clunkiness is over and you're having a conversation with somebody, it's really powerful because that's really the only way that you can continue to stay in touch. It's like when, when somebody moves and, you know, people always say, oh, we drifted. Well, you drifted because you didn't put the effort into the relationship. And so as a remote company, you have to put the effort in. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I love that you have such a strong focus on that personal collection and letting people talk about non-work things and building those connections because, I found, and I think that a lot of these companies who are making the switch to remote, for some people, their biggest worry is going to be, are my people actually working? And if anything, they're going to not want them doing that casual chit chat and stuff. So it's, it's great hearing from someone who's been fully remote and built a successful company that way that, yeah, you need to allow that for your people. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. There was a guy that I met that ran an agency. This was a couple of years ago. And my point is that trust is, 90% of it. Right. So, yeah. um, he was planning on installing software on the webcams of his, um, employees, uh, computers so that every like five minutes it would take a snapshot <laughs> so that he could determine whether people were in their chairs. And I was, I, I was just like, Oh my God. So you just spent however long trying to decide whether this person was trustworthy enough to hire you haven't even measured them on whether or not they've done a great job and they've lived up to this due diligence that you did on them and you're already showing them that you don't trust them. And so I think, you know, if, if you, if you said, Ryan, what's your one piece of advice to give somebody when they do it, I would say, just trust people Yeah. because they're professionals like everybody else. They want to do a great job. Sure. There's going to be a dog barking every once in a while and a kid. And we tell people, you know what, let it rip. And our clients love it when kids come in and they see a fuzzy little friend and you know, they end up sharing their kids back. And so, um, but just trust people because everybody's out there, the vast, vast majority of people are out there trying to do a good job. Like everybody else, just let them do their good job and, and don't worry that they're not going to get it done. Yeah. And I think this switch to remote work is, it's going to push that shift to 
results and what the person did rather than did you sit at a desk for these designated eight hours, which just makes so much more sense in today's world. Yeah, we, um, we tell people going back to that thing about memories, um, because the truth is like there is, you hear this term work-life balance, mm-hmm. um, but it's, I, don't, I don't think that's the right phrase. It's really kind of work-life integration. Um, and it doesn't mean that your work is now your life. It means that there's plenty of time for both. Yeah. And so what we tell people is like, look, we have this flexible work program. It doesn't mean you, you know, don't work a full week, but it means that just be there for your team, be there for your customers. But we tell people like, look, when you look at your week, plan the stuff that is going to be memorable for you, whether it's training for a triathlon or seeing your grandma or going to your kid's event or, or whatever, and then put the work stuff around it because mm-hmm. you're a professional person, right? And if you want to take off Thursday afternoon to go train for a race, that's going to make you feel good about yourself. And in exchange for that, you're going to catch up on some admin stuff on Saturday morning over a cup of coffee, high five, because you should do that. And that's going to make you feel like good about yourself. Um, and so um, I think that's probably the other thing is like give people some flexibility to get their work done in a schedule that's unique to them, especially right now, right? Where people are homeschooling and their office is also like a playground and you, know, <laughs> you got to kind of show some grace and let people have some slack. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. So one thing I've been doing is I, I just wake up early cause I have a one-year-old. He's up at like six in the morning. So I have no choice. I'm up. So because of that, I start work early and then in the afternoon when it's sunny out, having that hour to like take them outside and play while I'm at work and then going back and putting in the extra hour later, mm-hmm. like that's important. It's super valuable just for someone's personal well-being, right? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So I, I love that conversation about the personal side and the productive side a little bit with everyone making this switch. I'd love maybe just from a practical side, any tips you have around how to separate your home office, how to balance things, what tools to use, just anything kind of you've learned that you think our listeners could benefit from. Yeah. Um, well, I guess one of the things is to, uh, there's this concept called time boxing, which is basically, um, uh, I'm going to spend three hours on this group of things at this time. And yep. so I think especially right now and, Um, you know, when you're at home, there's other types of distractions. And so I think figuring out like your, your rhythm so that you know that on Tuesdays from eight to 11, that's like, you know, you know, it's going to be quiet. So that's writing time. Or Mm -hmm. um, I think using some time boxing techniques is really good. Um, I think if you have clients or you have coworkers and, you know, you have like my little five-year-olds, I can see her dancing in the window over there and you might be able to hear her, but just to say, Hey, you know what, I've got, I've got some, my family's at home and you might hear them and um, you know, they might come in and wave at you and uh, ask your name. And so I think the vast majority of people that have any soul will understand that that's probably a cool thing. Um, So uh, my, my practical advice is there's going to be people that aren't accustomed to working at home that are going to be really paranoid that it's not going to be perfect and pristine and, and exactly quiet and oh my gosh what will the world think if my you know my conference call is not completely quiet and i would just say to them like it's okay like just embrace Mm -hmm. it um if anything it makes the world a lot more human to know that there's you know young happy people around and um that it it shows a personal side of your life so i would embrace that and the vast majority of people are gonna embrace it with you um 
I would say that, you know, is you make sure you find some like legitimate software. So as you go do remote, there's going to be a bunch of technology that you might not be super comfortable with. Don't shortchange yourself. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, spend the money on a Zoom or on a, you know, another paid platform or on a Slack rather than a free one that has bad quality because it is kind of, I mean, it's no different when you're working at home, like those tools become the internet for you. And then I think the last thing is kind of like a cautionary piece is that when the world becomes remote, like it is now, there's going to be an army of companies who claim that they are, you know, remote experts and remote this and remote that, but they're really not. They're forced into it like a lot of other people. So as you think through your supply chain, your vendors, your suppliers, your all the people that you depend on to help you um, deliver whatever it is that you do, do some vetting on them to make sure that they, they are doing remote well as well. Because at the end of the day, if somebody that you really depend on hasn't made the investment and hasn't geared up to run a remote business properly, you're putting your own business at risk. And um, I think a lot of people that we talk to don't actually think about that. So Um, You know, if your agency was diehard anti-remote, got to be in front of a whiteboard, hug it out. And now all of a sudden they're, um, you know, forced to being 100% remote. There's going to be systems and project management issues and details that they're used to walking down the hallway to do that they haven't accounted for yet. And so just keep that in mind as you go to select vendors for whatever it is, whether it's an agency or a phone company or whatever. Yeah, no, I I think that's all great advice. It makes a lot of sense. I completely agree on getting the right tools. So we, we use Zoom as well. Um, Google Hangouts, depending, because we're a Google org, and sometimes that's just really easy. Yeah. But one thing we've struggled with that I would love your advice on is uh, remote w- meetings are different. They're, they are not like in-person meetings. It can be difficult to read body language, when to jump in. And honestly, we just find ourselves interrupting each other more and it being a bit more awkward. Is it still like that for you after this time, or do you have that all kind of worked out? Um, I mean, I think it always is right because, uh, well, first of all, I think one of the things that you can do is make, uh, cameras mandatory. Yeah. So, um, I think one of the things that caused that underlying, are people really paying attention piece is when every, nobody has a camera on. Yeah. Cause you don't really know what's going on. And the nonverbal communication is so, so important. So, you know, we tell people that, you know, you should have cameras on for everything. And the trade-off is you might catch me with a baseball hat on and that's okay. Um, and so, um, so that I think that's part of it. The second thing is um, agendas are really important in remote because um, you, you sort of have a like expiration window for a, a remote meeting. I think this the, about as much as you can do between um, you know, water and bathrooms and stuff like that is like two hours. So um, I was just talking to a client the other day because as clients go through all the coronavirus stuff, we've told them that as you go to remote, why don't you just call us and we'll tell you kind of how we do some things so that it's easier for you. And they were doing these full day workshops that they had planned. And I was trying to convince them that they should break them up into, instead of like an eight hour workshop, break it up into four, two hour sessions, whether it's one in the morning, one in the afternoon, or, you know, four days in a row or whatever, because um, the marathon meetings just don't work in mm-hmm. a, uh, a virtual type meeting space. So if you, if you break things up into digestible chunks, if you, um, have people turn on cameras a lot. Um, there's going to be people that are shy. So you have to monitor both the room and also the chat pane. 
because some people that are shy might be out of question or they might just post the question in the chat pane. And so you have to really monitor both at the same time. Um, and then I think the last thing that I would do is, especially if you're asking for feedback from people is call on people. I know it sounds like, you know, you're in like your first class in college and you're in the back of the row and the teacher calls on you. But the reality is, is a lot of people have opinions, but now you're in this like weird, weird space where, um, you know, you see 20 faces on a screen. Um, and sometimes it's okay to say, Hey Jane, like, what do you think? Because you haven't heard her talk that much or yeah. John or whoever you're calling. And so, um, you just have to sort of like force things a little bit. And then after a while people get used to it and it's not as big of a deal. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. And I think we've ran into that firsthand. So we're, our, our company actually, our employees by default are introverts, like the vast majority. Mm-hmm. So because of that, even in meetings, we'd have to call on them. But now I've been on Zoom calls where there's six of us and just sitting there in silence when someone has a question because no one wants to speak up first sometimes. Right. Um, then so you yeah, can just do something like, you know, blink twice if you agree. Yeah, exactly. You see a lot of people with their thumbs up or nodding and, and that yeah. helps at least. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Ryan, thank you so much. I enjoyed that. I'm going to take some of those tips back to our team as we make this adjustment. Can you maybe let our listeners know where they can either connect with you or learn more about SmartBug? Yeah, sure. So SmartBug is just smartbugmedia.com and uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and also my email is just my first name at smartbugmedia.com. Awesome. Thanks. So I'll add the links to the website um, and everything in the player description for our listeners. So they'll be able to find it. But Ryan, thanks so much. I really appreciated that. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. You too. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of People at Work. If you enjoyed this episode, can you do me one quick favor and head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a five-star review? It helps others discover the podcast and we love reading the reviews. If you haven't already subscribed, head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening.